Welcome to episode number 50 of the Inspirational Athletes Podcast here on the Always Lancaster Podcast Network. I'm your host, John Walk, sports reporter for LNP Newspaper and LancasterOnline.com in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. 50 episodes. I can't believe it. Um, thank you guys out there who have listened on a regular basis to make this milestone achieve, achievable. It means a lot. Honestly, when I first started this thing a year ago, my goal initially was just to get this thing off the ground. And as we uh, chugged along, just kind of live up to the challenge of keeping it going. And now here, 50 episodes. Um, I honestly don't know what's next. I know I want to keep it going. I have a whole list of folks that just keeps on growing. So as long as that um, is provided, I'll, I'll make sure of that. But more than that, I've kind of realized, you know, this is a platform in which we can kind of not only celebrate athletic figures from Lancaster in kind of a different and unique way, because I don't know, maybe there's sometimes there's there's not often a reason to write stories in a newspaper about certain folks unless they achieve something or do something new, uh, newsworthy, but I don't know, this is kind of a platform in which we can kind of pick either athletes or coaches' brains as to what might make them successful, and I don't know, it's made me realize things about myself just in terms of some of the advice previous guests have shared on here that I've tried to apply into my own life, and hopefully that's, that's worked for you guys. With all that being said, I understand there's probably going to be some folks who are first-time listeners today, and that is awesome because I hope this thing keeps growing in the future. For those newbies out there, uh, the Inspirational Athletes Podcast is simply a chat with local athletic figures who have overcome adversity either on the playing surface or off, or who just might have interesting stories to tell of their travels and athletics because, look, life can just uh, it can be hard sometimes, man. We all have bumps in the road, obstacles that we face in the walk of life and go for me anyway maybe somebody can listen to this pull something out of it that either helps you or inspire you to face whatever challenge you have in front of you um, we've had some awesome guests on this show in the past so feel free to go back and check those out in the archives you can do that one of three ways and continue listening to the show in one of three ways if that's on the soundcloud app punch in lancaster online podcast in the search area and follow us if that's on itunes or google play search always lancaster in the podcast section and hit subscribe with out of the way let's move on to episode number 50 of the inspirational athletes podcast and I believe this man more than lives up to that milestone. His name is Dan Crowder. Dan, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks for Appreciate having me. Appreciate you uh, stepping on. Um, yeah, most of you guys listening to this probably know who Dan Crowder is. But for those who aren't, Dan played 10 years in the NFL, most of those years with the Pittsburgh Steelers as a fullback. Uh, he's now eight years removed from the game, lives back here in Lancaster County, keeping busy as a husband, father of four children, also working as a partner in, a family's, in his family's property management business. And, oh, yeah, he's a Mannheim Central High School alum. We all know about that career. Um, I kind of wanted to start there as far as that, that background. I've read a bunch about you over the years as far as you come from a blue-collar family. I'm like, okay, what does that mean? Um, I, the little bit that I was able to find, I guess you grew up on a farm. I, I know you are saying in Mount Joy. Yeah. So what was that life like? Yeah, I mean, a lot of work, uh, obviously, being on a farm. But, uh, you know, I originally started uh we started on a farm in manheim township originally my dad had and uh we actually have a vegetable farm that we grew celery and you know corn and uh, strawberries and everything else and and we lived there till i was about 12 and then uh, we sold the farm and moved to mount joy and uh i guess my dad had looked to take on another business venture and uh, took on dairy farming at that time so we tried to do dairy and um and celery farming and vegetable farming at the same time so it was a, a busy life um because we always say cows, it, yeah. they don't wait to get milked. <laughs> yeah, now from the little bit that I know, because I grew up in Penn Manor, which like, I don't know, it felt like my time there, half the student population lived on a farm. And what the reason I'm saying that, a lot of the times those kids, they would 
wake up super duper early, four or five a.m. in the morning, hit hit the farm before you go to school, and then I don't know, maybe you have to go back to the farm afterwards. Is that kind of the life that you lived early on? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't have said that I was asked to milk cows too often before school. I mean, there was a couple of times I would, but uh, mainly I, my my role was after school or or uh, you know the weekends with milking cows and the work around the farm, but. Uh, you know, definitely. I mean, I had to pull my my weight on the farm and, and uh, with my brothers and stuff there. And um, you know, I was, you know, after even after football practice, you'd come home and still have some work to be had to be done. You know, wow. your chores that you had to do. So it, uh, yeah, work was a big part of life. So work ethic instilled in you from a very young age, like. Yeah. The, what would happen, I guess, if your dad, I don't feel like milking cows today. Like, does that I, yeah, get instilled in you? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, uh, I, you know, my dad was very, you know, uh, pivotal in my life as far as kind of living example of, uh, you know, grace and, and mercy. And, and, you know, he was always <clears throat> willing to kind of like, hey, if, if something needs done, he'll do it. And, you know, if I was like, hey, I, I'm getting pulled in too many different directions, he would fill a gap or somebody else would fill the gap. So I think in that way we – we supported each other, and so to think that I was one to be like, hey, I don't feel like doing it today. Well, we all thought that, but we knew, like, hey, everybody's pulling their weight, and you just kind of step up. And one of four boys? Yes. I guess. And mm -hmm. where did you fall along? I was those? number three. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know if you were the, the eldest and, and had to kind of steer the ship there as far as that goes. So maybe uh, you had to prove your, your weight a little bit, I guess. So. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I guess I was always chasing my older brothers. It's probably what created the competitiveness in me and uh, drive to kind of keep up and, and just to play at a higher level. So to speak <laughs> how do you juggle because i was reading you started playing football i guess in the seventh grade how do you juggle uh you know working on the farm going to school playing football like what is that life like when you're in middle school <laughs> well i mean uh and we lived about 20 minutes from school 20 25 minutes from from Mannheim is where it went and uh yeah i mean it, it made it busy in the evenings uh obviously you'd have practice till 5 30 or 6 and, and until i got home 6 30 or so and then I'd have an hour of, of actual chores before you even got to your homework so um I, I was pretty driven to play football. It was something I had wanted to do from an early age, and I think it wasn't until we moved to that farm um, where uh, I really felt like, hey, this is my opportunity to play, to be in a part of a good program in Mannheim. And uh, it just pushed my parents to be like, hey, I, I really want to play. And so being the first one in the family to play football and, and really be the kind of the driving force to be like, hey, I want to make this happen, it was kind of like, I can't be uh, slacking el elsewhere or that right. kind of comes falls back on like, well, can you do this football thing and still get your work done? So I, I was driven to kind of get it done. And the fullback position, I don't know how much later that comes in your, your career. Maybe that comes earlier on in high school. But the reason I bring that up, like not many kids when they start out playing football probably think, oh, yeah, I want to be a blocking <laughs> back. Like the guy that gets no glory and doesn't get the, all the, you know, highlights and everything like that. Where does that fall along the lines of like when are you initially asked like, hey, you're playing fullback or maybe yeah. you're told? <laughs> yeah, well, it's probably somewhat told. You know, it wasn't until I got to college. I mean, I would say that when I first started playing football, I loved contact. I loved hitting people. So that for me in high school was, you know, running back and linebacker. And so I think that uh, I was probably more known for being a linebacker in high school. And so then getting to college, it was like, hey, what, you know, you can be an offensive linebacker, so to speak, by being a fullback. And, and I, I think I, I bucked it at first, you know, being told like, hey, you got to be this fullback and blocker. But, uh, you know, I realized that once you, you know, embrace a role and, and, and uh, see there's opportunity there, then it, it's like, hey, OK, I get it. You know, I fit into this this role. And back then, you know, YouTube's not around, things of that nature as far as what, so maybe you're watching just on the TV on Sundays as far as like how to be a better blocking back or is it just 
through repetition and practice like how do you get better at something like that yeah i mean honestly it is repetition i mean and uh you know to to learn the technique i mean obviously there's got to be a want to number one Mm -hmm. you know and that's kind of what i've talked to my son now he's starting to play i'm like because he's asking questions about hitting and i'm like hitting it kind of starts it's a hard issue you got to find out if you want to uh because there's always that point where you're like is this gonna hurt it's gonna hurt but it'll hurt more if you receive it than give it and uh so, yeah, you, you just kind of find out what it's like to, to play that role and then feel like, hey, what do I need to do to get my body ready to handle that? I did want to ask you as far as the, the days at, at Mannheim Central, you know, you're, you're growing up in this, this football school that we all know today. I don't know if it was so much as well, you know, 23 years ago, I guess, was, would have been your senior year. Um, was there a lot on your shoulders as far as living up to playing in a program like Mannheim Central like it is today? Yeah, I mean, back then they were successful, you know, prior to me getting there, and, yeah. and, and uh, they'd always had good teams. And I, I honestly, I, we always had good teams and other guy, good players on the team. So I think you felt like it wasn't just on one guy's shoulders. It was a team effort. And so we had good players across the board. And so I think that just made it easier to say, hey, we're going to be successful as a team. Yeah. Uh, and obviously in Mannheim, they start them young and, and just kind of bring them up in the system. And, and it uh, – it helps them be successful then later on as a team. And as far as the uh, the Barons team, 1994 would have been your senior year that fall. You guys end up making it to the Eastern Finals, uh, losing to Berwick. Um, you know, I was going back over my notes and reading uh, back in our archives from that game. Uh, I guess I'll just simply ask you, like, what do you remember? What do you take away from that game that day? Yeah, I mean, that was uh, probably one of the toughest games that we ever played. Uh, I mean, we were a team that had a lot of players going both ways. I mean, we probably had eight players going both ways. And so it it really, by that end of that game, the guys were just tired out. And I think that Berwick was one of those teams that just had a big offensive line, defensive line, and they just, you know, just wore us out by the end of the game. And it was, we were playing, you know, right with them the whole game. And it came down to to a play that uh, happened, you know, with a minute to go. And, um, but uh, it was, yeah, it was a fun game. Obviously, you just you give it your all. You say, hey, this is it. It's you know, you gotta leave it on the field. And uh, so it was, yeah. When does when does New Hampshire come into play for you? So that was, uh, you know, they probably came in a few months after that when they started the recruiting process. Really? Right. Um, they started talking to you. You know, I was you know, kind of weighing the college options and saying, you know, there were some state schools that were, I was talking to and. Uh, they really were the only one that gave me a full scholarship. They, that uh, the school they gave uh, full athletic scholarships and uh, made, the simple, made it really simple for me. They showed up at my house, <laughs> said, "Hey, we'll give you a full ride," and and I'm like, "Well, I have to go where the, you know they're paying the way," and um, so that made it simple. Easy choice there, because mm-hmm. um, I was. I don't know, maybe today it's more so like if you don't have those D1 offers by your senior year, it's like good luck, you're probably not going to get noticed. Whereas right. back then, 20-some years ago, it's a little bit different, I guess, as far as the recruiting game goes. Yeah, I mean, I think back then they did recruit guys prior to their senior year yeah. too. Um, yeah, maybe you know, I think it has changed some. Um, but, I mean, I, I think at that time I was still developing as a player and saying, hey, I, you know, as a junior I probably wouldn't have been as noticeable um, because we were a good football team then and we had a lot of seniors that were good on that team as a junior and, and when I was a junior. So it's kind of like, hey, I was kind of working my way into seeing getting bigger, stronger, and, uh, you know, creating a way for myself. And you played right away at New Hampshire your freshman year, but that, that four-year career, while really successful at New Hampshire, you battled through – a number of injuries could you just kind of list those quickly <laughs> yeah so probably um you know i had uh, multiple neck injuries uh which would have consisted of like stingers and, and and stuff like that and then uh, acl surgery on my left knee uh, i had both uh, two high ankle sprains uh, would have um 
had a MCL on one knee uh, that was injured. Um, so it's kind of <laughs> fast-forwarding you being as a undrafted free agent, you know, after your senior year at New Hampshire, how much do you think that kind of played a role just in terms of – because you still saw a lot of time on the field and, and battled through a lot of pain and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, when I think back to college, I, I say that it toughened me off to play the, the position of fullback in the NFL. I mean, because honestly, I think I came from high school where we were very successful and you're running around making plays and it's a lot of fun. And you, you know, it's more of a – closer to a business when you get to college and you're expected to play this one role and – um, I think the battle on those injuries and playing through pain, you know, just like I said, just create that toughness that says, hey, I got to be willing to rise above some of this stuff and play through it because the reality is you're never going to feel perfect all the time and, and uh, you got to get the job done. Was there ever any question, though, of coming out of college of like, man, I don't know how much more my body can take. Maybe <laughs> I should look elsewhere as far as a career. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, honestly, I, there was a point where you're like, man, do I want to do this anymore? You know what I mean? Like, because you, you beat yourself up like that and you're like, man, my body feels like it's breaking down. And, uh, you know, and that's where, hey, doors just continue to open. Uh, and I thought, well, I guess we'll just continue on and and just pray that, uh, you know, Lord willing, things you right. know, have put people in place to help me get through that next step. Now, signed by the Steelers as an undrafted free agent out of New Hampshire. Before I go any further, I was reading back over my notes. I'm a Miami Dolphins fan. I had no clue up until last night that when you were deciding it was either between the Steelers <laughs> or the Dolphins. What, what happened there? Yeah, so with that, I guess it was the second day of drafting. You know, I got a call. My agent got a call from, you know, the Steelers and, and uh, Dolphins saying, hey, we, we're not going to draft you, but we want to sign you as a free agent. So we knew before the end of the draft, hey, we probably have a couple options here. And, and Miami that year had drafted a fullback in the fourth round. And so my agent felt like, hey, I, I don't think it makes sense to sign with them because they're bringing a young guy in. He's a fourth-round pick. They're committing some money to him. He's, he's going to get every opportunity. And then with Pittsburgh, it was kind of like, hey, this is, seems like a system that would fit my style of play and what I played in college. And um, I think at that point, I was like, hey, I'm just looking for an opportunity. Um, and so that's kind of what made the decision then. Now, you're a Pennsylvania boy. A lot of people around here are obviously Steelers fans. Mm. Did you grow up a Steelers fan? I did not. No? <laughs> I was oh, Eagles. man, you're probably breaking hearts out there right now. Well, okay. I, yeah, I mean, I, I ended up being an Eagles fan just growing okay. up around here. So, okay, I was um, just curious. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Steelers put you on the practice squad, I guess, as a rookie, eventually earned the starting job in Wrightsville native John Whitman. It turns out my wife is like a distant relative of him. Okay. Um, I've still never met him. But anyway, Wrightsville native John Whitman, he's the Steelers fullback. He goes down, I guess, five games into the season. Um, I guess you're basically inserted as the new Steelers fullback at that point. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you remember that that first game uh, saying, all right, Dan, this is your turn. you got to prove yourself. Oh, yeah, I, I remember real clearly because um, my first play out, uh, we ran like a play action play. It was, you know, we ran up. Uh, I was out as a fullback. Jerome Bennis was a tailback. And we ran like a play action off the, the right side. My responsibility for pass protection was to check the outside linebacker. And then if he didn't come uh, on a blitz, then I was supposed to run out in the flat. Well, at that time, the linebacker basically, he did kind of one of these, pretend like he's going to go in, uh, into coverage and then blitz late. And I literally was already running, and I saw it out of the corner of my eye of him blitzing late. And he, and at that time, it was Cordell Stewart who was a quarterback. This guy literally hit Cordell so hard, he threw a flag. And so the play ended up being a positive play because he hit, you know, I mean, Cordell got the ball off. The guy ear hold him, uh, you know, hit him in the helmet. Um, they threw a flag. And uh, we got like 15 yards out of play, and I was getting screamed at from the sidelines. Okay. The coaches were like, "Where were you on that one?" And I was like, "I saw it, but it was too late." And 
Um, so that was my very first play on the field, and I wow. thought, this is it. They're going to fire me on the spot. <laughs> uh, thankfully, you know, they didn't have a choice. We were in the middle of the game, and, and, I, I, and at that point, you know, you're, you just play – Play your butt off the rest of the game and hope for the best. Yeah, my apologies for jumping forward here. Your second first season, I was reading you you tore your calf muscle in training camp and then you played through it the whole season. Yeah, so it was actually the first day of training camp. We had like a walkthrough and everybody I think thought I was faking something. Uh, we were just walking and uh, it felt like somebody shot me in the back of the leg and my my calf just tore and uh, I, I literally couldn't put any weight on it or yeah. anything like that and. So it took me probably all training camp to get it to heal enough that I could then play. Oh, and right. and um, so by opening uh, day, then I was ready to go to play. I just, that, that blew my mind. I'm like, how do you play through it? So you did get it, I guess, back to whatever. Well, yeah, so then the first day back, um, when I was healthy enough to practice, I broke my right hand in practice. <laughs> uh, so I still got the, uh, the oh, bump yeah. to show. Yeah, so, and then they were like, well, do you want to do surgery to fix all it? Right. And at that point, I was like, well, this is my first day back practicing in a month. And uh, being a second-year player, I was like, well, you know, you're like, I got to be available. So I just said, no, I'll just, I'll play th through it. So I just played through the broken hand all year too. So um, kind of fast forward in here again, my apologies. It was uh, Super Bowl 40. Yeah. Seattle uh, Steelers, 21, 10 win over the Seahawks. You barely played. You're battling a bum knee at that point. I wanted to ask you, I guess, could you kind of walk me through that week? Cause from everything I was reading, it sounds like, like you're held out of practice, but you're still kind of trying to give it a go. You weren't really sure. Coach Cower was kind of mum on the issue. And yeah. What was that week like? Is this the biggest <laughs> game of your career, and you're not sure if you're going to play? Yeah. No, it was stressful, to say the least, because it was kind of like, hey, here you are. You had, we had two weeks at that time before the Super Bowl. Right. And so we were kind of – you know, I was trying to rehab this knee because in the AFC Championship in Denver – uh, we had a play where the running back ran into the back of me and I got, felt my knee pop a little bit. And, I, and at the time, I could finish the game, and it wasn't until the next day it just swelled up on me. And, uh, and any time I would do anything, it just kept swelling up. And, and I was like, man, am I going to be able to play? And so we, we treated it for two weeks. They said, we won't practice. Just get you ready for the game. And, and about three days before the game, they drained it. <laughs> and, uh, and that made it feel good. And so I was able to just go out and play. And then um, so, yeah, it was stressful to say the least. I mean, you're just constantly being asked, like, hey, are you going to be ready to go? And you're like, you know, I'm going to make every effort to go, right. you know, and that was kind of the point. So on what occasions do you bust out the Super Bowl ring today? <laughs> uh, if, if somebody asks you to do an autograph signing, sometimes, I'll, you know, okay. I'll take it to that. Uh, it's, it's so big and gaudy. Like, I, it's, it doesn't quite fit me right, and I'm just like – yeah, it's collecting dust somewhere. All right, it wasn't because you seem like a humble guy. I didn't know if you just wear it out and about, or what, or if you put it on a necklace. And maybe it's easier to wear in that sense. Yeah. Um, so you played for the Steelers eight seasons, including that uh, 2005 team won the Super Bowl. Um, finished the career one year stints with St. Louis in 08 and with the Cardinals in 09. Um, I was going to ask you, I guess, how do you go about making the decision to retire before we start recording here? You basically, I guess, another injury kind of prompted you to say, okay, I think this is it. Yeah. Yeah, I had uh, a hit in a game, and, and uh, you know, you, it was normal to, in my position, you know, you get stingers, these, you know, burning sensations down your arms. And so, they, you know, they come and go, and, you know, your your body can recover most of the time. After this one, I it was lifting weights, like, the next day, and, and I just felt a pop in my shoulder, and my left arm, like, atrophied overnight. You know, so much radiating pain, and... And I, you know, being conditioned the way I was to play through things, I tried to play through it, but I, it was excruciating. And, and so I, I, at that point, just sat out the last couple games of the year. And, and then they said, well, hey, let's see how you recover on the offseason. And, 
at that point when they started looking at you know MRI in my neck and and I had a multiple bulging discs in my neck and and then my arm really just never recovered strength wise I probably got back 50% of my strength and I think at that point that for me was the writing on the wall like I think it's time to be so done. You're probably like early 30s. At yeah, I've been 32 point. at the yeah. time. Yeah. So your body's probably taking a little bit longer to heal as well. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and that's where that injury really just didn't. I think there was you know I know that there's some nerve damage there and I, that just you know just not getting any strength back didn't make me feel like I wanted to go out there and stick my head. That that first <laughs> in a block. year or two of not playing anymore, how tough was that on you? Like were you keeping the TV turned off on Sundays or anything like that? No, I mean I think for me mentally like I it was like a switch I think you were so focused on the next game the next season it was like that's the way you were conditioned and all of a sudden it was like oh I can actually let go and, and relax and uh, you know it was really nice to just kind of say hey you know what there's there's not another you know practice out there another game and uh, no I mean I um, you never know what it's going to be fully like till you go through it and say hey what's next in life and uh, but you know it was for me, I felt like I had put it all out on the field, so I didn't have anything left in the tank. Yeah. To get. Now, you had a, a business degree from New Hampshire still, yeah. mm -hmm. and I guess your father, uh, and it sounds like one of your brothers, launched their own property management firm at that point when you're retiring from football. Yeah. Um, so does it take you a little while to figure out, okay, this is what's next for me to go join that firm, or do you wait a year or two, or what's that like? Yeah, I mean, it was something we kind of started together, looking for property and, and saying, hey, we're going to get into real estate and manage some properties. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think for me, I, I thought, well, I'm going to start, you know, we start something like this prior to being finished because I didn't know when finish date would be. You know, I think as a player, you're, you're looking to play as long as you can and, um, you know, say, hey, this would be something to do after you're done. And, yeah, I understand, you know, realize like, hey, when you spend 10 years in, in this industry of playing football, it's like you're that far behind the other side of like, hey, getting into business and understanding that. So it's like I had a lot to learn yeah. as far as the industry. Plus you have, I guess at that point, three small kids at home. So it's yeah, not yep. like you were, yeah, we're expecting our kicking your feet up and relaxing <laughs> right. or anything. Yeah. You're probably busy running around. Sure. Um, and the, uh, I guess today, like what is your kind of responsibilities with the property management firm? Yeah, so I'm part of uh, the business decisions as far as financial decisions, and and you know I get into bookkeeping stuff. I mean I I've got into to fixing stuff at times and showing up to tenants and stuff like that. But uh, um, have you always been a handyman? <laughs> Uh, no, not really. Process. It's kind of a learned, uh, okay. learned ability. I guess, I guess today you can do anything with YouTube and stuff like that. So <laughs> yeah. I didn't know because the reason I was asking is I, I don't know if you show up to a, a property where I don't know you, somebody has a Steelers man cave and <laughs> anything like that, or people recognize you or in like yeah, <laughs> yeah. Some some of our tenants know you know what I did and okay. you know um, and it's hey you, uh, they find out real quickly hey I'm just a normal guy too and and uh, you know we. Yeah, try and provide them a good good uh, apartment to live in. And you played back in the day at Manheim Central. Matt Nagy is now Kansas City Chiefs offensive mm -hmm. coordinator. Yeah. Oftentimes when players are done, they kind of give the coaching thing a try. You haven't done that just yet. Why is that? Yeah, I guess uh, other opportunities, other, you know, uh, things have been priority. I mean, family has been definitely a priority for me uh, to have the time and availability there to be a part of raising a, a small, a young family. And, uh, you know, when I saw when I was playing what the coaches had to go through as far as the hours they spent, uh, coaching, it, it just was like, I just don't think I have that desire to do that kind of coaching. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've been asked, you know, a couple of times here to, to coach it, uh, like, you know, the midget and high school level. And I, I'm not quite ready to throw that. I had into the ring at that point too. Uh, other circumstances of life have kind of, you know, um, caused me to put my time other places too. Yeah. Um, I guess I kind of had a, I don't know how to go about doing this because 
Before we started talking here, you mentioned you dropped 30, 35 pounds after your playing days. The weight kind of comes off after mm-hmm. you stopped training. You've had three neck surgeries now in the last year and a half. You've mentioned a lot of the stuff that you battled through here, and I kind of had it on my topic as as far as discussions to have with you, the whole concussions thing. Um, I know you hit on that briefly, I guess, with uh, former LMP sports editor Jeff Young in an article. Um, you were quoted uh, recently saying, you know, you're living in the moment. There's No one's ever thinking about 20 years down the road. Um, I don't know this risk or, or what it's going to be like. Um, you have to kind of go out there. You know the risks. But what are you going to do? Am I going go to go tell, tell, to tell my coach I recognize the risk for later on in my life so I can't go today? I wanted to expand on that a bit. Um, I don't know. I guess because looking at that, my reaction is, let me put myself in your shoes as a player. If you're battling, whether it's a knee or a neck or a, right. I don't know how much concussions or, or was an issue for you. But, you know, at that time, you have a family to feed. You have a roof to put over. And you're playing at a, a fullback position where you're not making tens of millions of dollars and things like that. Like right. you could be on the street tomorrow. How much of a factor was that for you in terms of just keeping a job and, and maybe keeping those injuries mum, I guess? Yeah, I mean um... – Obviously, it is a factor. I mean, there's a lot of factors. I mean, I think that, you know, I, I enjoyed playing the game of football. I mean, it's something I'd wanted to do for a long time. And then when you get to the highest level, you've been so conditioned to to train your body and the training aspect of things and, and keeping yourself on the field, that was a variable. And obviously, the financial gain that's there is just, you know, it's hard to, to walk away from, too. And uh, when you're in the midst of it, you know, you're you're so um, conditioned to be, you know, competitive. Everything's competitive. You're trying to win. And, and so you're not... Uh, it's not that you're, you're, you know, throwing these, you know, don't think about the risk or what could be down the road. I think when you're 25 plus, you know, in your 20s and you're like, my body's in peak condition and I'm saying, yeah, hey, I'll recover like from this like anything else. You know, I've had injuries, I've rehabbed them. I think the brain thing is, you know, and I've been learning now with, you know, how I've been feeling after being done playing is like, I don't know that all the material was known as far as how important your brain uh, function is. Uh, to the rest of your body and, and saying how those concussions or what they deem as a concussion now has changed too. I mean, even when I played, you know, what they would, you know, you have a dinger or you have some uh, fogginess, they just throw you back in the game and you just kind of continue to play through it. And so those type of things, I don't think everyone was quite aware of what that damage, if there was damage being done and the effect it would have for the future and saying, you know, if I would know what these guys know now, would I have stopped playing sooner? I, it probably. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, I, I, with a couple of years left in my career, and when I think back, I had a couple of concussions. I really started questioning specialists and, and saying, you know, hey, what, what does this look like as far as, um, you know, if I have a, one concussion, how quickly can I recover? And am I doing permanent damage? And, and again, it's, you know, it's, you're only, you're kind of at the mercy of what the information is yeah. that they're known. And some of it, Because you know, we got to keep in mind, you played at a time. I know you're eight years out eight years ago we surely didn't know as much as we do today like yeah you're no right. I mean yeah I mean I can say within my career I mean it probably wasn't until I was four or five years into my career that I actually started doing the concussion protocol which was like you would do a baseline test on the computer and then once you had a concussion then they would compare the two tests right. and then they had kind of a, a baseline to work off of as far as when to re you know re-engage in the game and so early on it was kind of like they'd ask you how do you feel if can you remember the plays and uh I have a couple episodes that now when I look back, I'm like, man, I, I really shouldn't have went back in the right. game. Uh, so a couple more things on this topic I want sure. to ask you about. We're recording this uh, first week of September. It's probably go up mid-October, but right now, um, just in the last week or so, you know, we hear about Giselle Bunchen and New England Patriots saying, oh, Tom Brady was fine with no concussions last year or whatnot. I was just listening to the four-letter network before we came down here and some guy talking about, you know, 
Uh, it's more of the repetitive hits. You and you play it to positions. Repetitive blocks that you're given or knocking guys over. Right. With all that being said, when you're sitting there, you know, on your couch today watching that stuff on TV, hearing people talk about that. How much do you think about your your future? Like, do you have those questions, what my life is going to be like in 20, 30 years? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that going through the last two years with having neck surgeries and dealing with that kind of pain and then um, saying, you know, yeah, is it a ticking time bomb in my brain as far as, you know, some of the effects uh, from concussions? And, I mean, obviously at this point it's like, well, you know, what can I do? You know what I mean? Like, I think that's the question. You start just, you know, look at the avenues out there to do some treatments and saying, is there anything to – to, to help some of the CTE, if there's CTE in your brain, and, and um, I don't know, you know, what you just start to be proactive for your health and say, hey, I, I just, I can't take good enough as good enough, you know what I mean? Like, I gotta go find um, and see if there's other avenues for treatment, and yeah, it does make you a little worried, you know, obviously, but... Uh, um, so a couple things on that, um, and then we'll move on from this, but as far as... Uh I don't know, you, you have kids now that are, I guess your oldest is 13. How yep. much of a factor is that for you? You're letting them play, so right. you're you're okay with that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I've, you know, we've talked about things, and, um, you know, seeing the level of play, like, um, I don't know that, you know, concussions do come into play, but probably not as readily as they do later on when guys are, you know, uh, knowing how to hit correctly and, and really, you know, um, being more engaged and hitting and stuff like that. Where right now the guys, I think, are just running around having fun. You know, there's some big hits here and there, but, um, you know, obviously the things I've learned over the years, I, I can diagnose one pretty quickly and and, and, and we'll be be wise, you know, yeah. about uh, – because, I mean, obviously football isn't the only thing that causes concussions yeah, too. So. absolutely. And on the flip side of that, um, we had Manheim Township football coach Mark Evans on here earlier. He played football uh, high school, college at University of Miami. You know, I'm asking about this. He says, you know, the game is under attack. We, we talk about that side. That's fine. It's important. But at the other side – this is a game that, that teaches you a lot of life skills sure. and, and benefits. I imagine that probably is a factor that you weigh with your own kids. Like you're, you're willing to let them play because you've seen what it's done for you. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, the life lessons there, I mean, are huge. And, um, because I mean, you, how often you get, you know, in football, you get knocked down. It's how quickly you can get back up and move on is, is whether or not you're going to be successful. And so, I mean, that goes in life. I mean, obviously there's challenges all the time and saying, you know, you can get caught in fear and worry and, or you just say, you know what, hey, next play, next thing, and you just kind of keep plugging forward. So football, yeah, it definitely has, you know, I, I definitely reference uh, the, the challenges or the, the experiences I've had in, in as far as moving forward in life. Yeah, now I have a list of, uh, I don't want to call it rapid-fire questions, but questions that kind of don't fit a timeline. I kind of wanted to, to kind of check those off. We've seen um, offensive systems in the NFL just on the last 10, 15 years anyway, uh, West Coast offense to now everybody's doing the spread. Mm -hmm. I don't know, from, from your eyes, does that mean there's less of an emphasis or a need for a fullback today as opposed to when you were playing? So when I started playing, that was a talk, too, when I was there. They were always like, oh, they're phasing out the fullback. And there was always a handful of teams who probably didn't have the, a good enough quarterback, had a good defense, and they said they still want to run the ball. And so I think there's still a need for, quarter, or for fullbacks. It's just not – uh, quite what it once was um, you know now is it going to totally go away I mean you always still have short yardage you still have situational football where I think a fullback can be helpful but 
Um, yeah, I mean, if they phase it out, I understand why. <laughs> I didn't know if, if you were playing today, if it would be harder to keep your job now as opposed to 10 years ago, um, just with the changes in offenses, or maybe yeah. I'm wrong in that front. Uh, yeah, it's, no, it's a valid point. I, it's very possible. I mean, they might have said, hey, we don't need as much of a, a guard in the backfield type of player as we do somebody who can block as well as can get out and run routes and, and stuff like that. Because I wasn't asked to run routes as much. I mean, we were just kind of a – um, you know, pound the ball type of offense for several years there with like Jerome Bennis and um, and the offensive line that we had. So, it, I mean, it just depends on your personnel. I mean, I think that's what it comes back to. I mean, uh, I think a lot of these teams are deciding on their system based on the personnel. Jerome Bredis, I had that on my list of questions. Um, I don't know, funniest or, or best story that you can tell us about Jerome? Um, uh, I think the funniest story. I don't know. I mean, I think when I think about Jerome, he was he was uh, for being a high profile guy. He was so down to earth, and his you know locker in the in the locker room was real close to mine. We had a great relationship, you know, playing together. And uh, I was always amazed how a guy his how big he was, how nimble he was on his feet. I mean, that was one of the first things I saw right off the bat. It was like we were watching film, and I'm like, this guy is as wide as a doorway. And literally, he can make guys miss because it's you know, you know like it was like twinkle toes. I mean, I was just amazed by his his vision and his, his quick feet, but he always outweighed me easily by 20 or 30 pounds really? throughout his career. Right. He was sizably bigger than so I was. So were there competitions in the weight room? Uh, well, I, you know, the funny thing with him is, you know, he, he wasn't like a big weight room guy. Oh, really? Like right. I think some of these guys out there are just so gifted <laughs> that All they're right. like, weight room wasn't important for me. Weight room was pretty important. You've obviously <laughs> delivered a lot of hits and blocks in your career of those. Is there one or two that you could say are the most satisfying or ones that stand out? Yeah, so I had a hit that I did on Ray Lewis one time, and, and people reference that a lot because it got right. a lot of publicity. So that one probably was the most satisfying. All right, that's what I figured. <laughs> um, we've seen former pro athletes go on this, uh, this show, Dancing with the Stars. Your former teammate, Heinz yeah. Ward, goes on there and wins the thing. I don't know if you've ever been approached since you've retired to do that, but if you were, I don't know, how do you think you'd fare on there? Uh, I think I'd be out pretty quick. I, okay. I don't think uh, <laughs> they would. I would have trouble with, like remembering the. Uh, I didn't know if that's in the cards for you. If no. your if your wife is at home, like Dan, why don't you give this a try or anything <laughs> like that? Um, you played for uh, Steelers coach Bill Cowher. Uh, I guess shortly after he retired, his name has always been in the in the circles yeah. as far as is he going to come back? Maybe not so much today. Mm -hmm. Do you think we ever see him return to the sidelines? I don't know. I, it's it's hard to say. I think he has a good gig on uh, TV and. Um, you know, I, I would like to personally see him come back, but I, I think it's probably um, – I I don't think he will, honestly. I think he has a good gig, and, and um, you know, he put a lot into it back when he coached before. Mm -hmm. And um, Super Bowl, uh, obviously it's a big win in your career. Outside of the Super Bowl, what do you think is the most satisfying win in your playing career? It could be high school, college, pro. Oh, wow. Can't say that I've thought about that before. Okay. Um, um, you know, we had beaten uh, New England Patriots uh, in the 2004 season. It had been uh, Ben Roethlisberger's first year, and, and we had came, came off um, – anyway, had lost to them a couple times over the years. And it was a uh, midseason game, um, and we just – we beat them pretty good. And it was, that was definitely a good, satisfying win. Okay. Um, and I wanted to ask you, too, as far as – you know, I think it comes across here as, as we're talking of how humble you are. And, and you've been quoted in the past. I, I went back and grabbed a quote from a 2006 article during your visit to Mannheim Central saying, quote, I'm just another guy. I'm a guy who plays a sport that is on TV all the time, but I'm just another guy. I'm not as special as anyone else. Where does that humble side from you come from? Yeah, so, I mean, growing up uh, – 
with my parents, I mean, they instilled uh, faith values early on. You know, then we went to church, and, you know, I learned about uh, having a relationship with Jesus uh, at an early age. And, and I think they were instrumental in living it out and as well as teaching it. And I think that when you have a perspective about life and, and, and a creator that's, you know, put us here, uh, I think it, it does, you know, you don't hold uh, things quite as serious. You know, you say, hey, I've been put here at this place for this time, and um, these doors have been opened and for a reason, and I can't really take credit for it. As, as we kind of wrap up here, this is usually the part of the podcast where I like to ask guests, is there any piece of advice or suggestions that, that you can give others that, I don't know, maybe has made you successful in your life that, that other people can take with you, or maybe it's something that you're instilling in your own boy as he's setting out in, in athletics now or anything like that as far as life lessons that, that you've been sharing? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing that comes to mind is, uh, you know, don't let stress or fear, you know, handcuff you or, or stop you from doing something. I think that, um, you know, there's obviously fear and worry about the what ifs, um, but I think that, you know, it's better just to take that step and say, hey, I'm just going to take the next step. I mean, I got knocked down today or, or, or you know, whatever happened, you just say, hey, I'm, tomorrow's a new day and I'm, I'm going to approach it with the same uh, perspective and the same drive and, uh, you know, whatever might be running through your head of fear or, or stress, it's just... Um, you know, whatever it takes to get past that point and, and surround yourself with the people who can support you through that, that, that can be beneficial to being successful. That's awesome. You know, that's the reason why I like having this. It's a good platform to kind of share those lessons. And if you guys uh, enjoyed listening to today's Inspirational Athletes podcast and you enjoy listening to the previous 49 episodes, so feel free to go back and check those out in the archives. Continue listening in the future. We have awesome guests lined up. Next week, we'll be chatting with Garden Spot alum Julia O'Brien. She just recently returned to the States after playing for a professional volleyball team in Italy. Um, the following week, we're going to have Elizabethtown alum and former Penn State lineman Eric Clare. He's going to be dropping by, so stay tuned for that and more coming up here. With that being said, guys, I'm always looking for any suggestions for future guests. So if you're listening to this right now and think, hey, I know this person, they'd be great. Throw me an email, jwalk at lnpnews.com, or contact me on the Twitter at jwalklnp. Uh, this is usually the part of the podcast where I kind of give the chance uh, to the guests to promote whatever you have going on in your life, but you're not on Twitter. I don't think you're on Instagram. No. I don't know if there's uh, the property management business, if you want to put that out there or anything like that. Um, if well, yeah, I mean, the only thing I, I guess the only thing I would say is, you know, I'm a part owner in uh, Brentmore Construction, so we get into a lot of residential um, uh, renovations and stuff like that. So if anyone's ever looking for uh, some work done to their house, uh, we're out there, too. Fantastic. And before we wrap up here, I just want to say thanks to my colleagues, Tyler Huber and Irene Snyder. They're, they are the engineers slash producers of this podcast. Thanks to another colleague, Claudia Espenshade. She handles all the posting duties to get this thing online. So thanks to them. Thanks to you guys for listening. And thanks to uh, Mr. Dan Kreider for sharing your story. Thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Great job.